Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Hey, one thing, though, before we get into today's conversation, um, as all of you know, our neighbors in the Big Bend area, they were hit with a hurricane. And uh, because of your generosity, we were able to immediately partner with Convoy of Hope by sending them funds. And, and the reason we do that is that every dollar that you give is multiplied and maximized by Convoy of Hope because of their partnerships with corporations throughout America. I mean, you get so much free things donated and these kind of things, but they also are able to buy things at a rate that we could never do. And uh, and I just want to say, since 2018, when the hurricane hit here in October 2018, you as a church, because of your generosity, have given over $150,000 to Convoy of Hope, which is an incredible thing. And you just need to celebrate that. Thank you, guys. And for being that kind of church. So here's a video they sent to us to say thank you um, and, to say, and to show you, like, what are you helping to make happen every time you make a donation like this? So watch the side screens. It's really a, a poverty-stricken area. So there's a lot of need here. A lot of the uh, individuals are uh, struggling to survive. For as long as I've lived here, we've never had any big storms here. And uh, we've experienced um, what we thought would never happen. We see the homes that are still trying to find their way out. Their driveways are buried by the trees and power lines that are down. And it's heartbreaking uh, because these are our families. These are our community members. Even today, we've noticed that a lot of cars or families are just out driving around and they're trying to find somewhere to get some assistance. It feels like Convoy is a rescue team. Um, I know that they've experienced hurricanes and, and they've helped so many churches and, and communities. It just feels like what we don't know how to do, Convoy knows how to do. And I think because of the amount of love that's being poured out on our community by Convoy of Hope, uh, that's given us the hope that we need. Finding that uh, there's possibility of a future and that uh, maybe in a few weeks or a few months or a few years that we'll be back to normal. Today, it's our turn to receive this compassion and uh, so I'm very thankful especially for what you're doing for, for us and for our community. Hey, thank you so much for being a church that offers hope in every storm. Thank you so much for being generous so that we can be for others when they're going through a crisis like uh, you, many of you experienced here as well. And by the way, Convoy let us know that um, there could use some people tomorrow. I know that's kind of a short notice, but um, with the distribution line tomorrow, with being a holiday, they said, hey, we could use some people. If you want to go down uh, tomorrow and be part of that distribution line that they do every day. Also, they're going to have some uh, debris cleaning and chainsaw teams uh, that are going to be starting in the area this week. So if you're interested and could possibly help with Convoy Hope tomorrow or maybe the uh, debris clearing uh, or chainsaw team um, later this week, uh, if you'll stop by the gallery at your campus, 
Uh, they have more information there and uh, would love to give you um, insight into what your next steps would be in order to maybe serve tomorrow or sometime later this week. And also, I just want to say thank you for being a church that's always for because like, we were able to give generously, but also we had a team down um, this weekend who were cleaning up driveways and interest stuff. And one of the things they did was clean an entrance to a church out so people would get in because they had a food in a food pantry there. And so that was able to open that up. So I just want to say thank you so much for being that kind of church. So if you want to give um, to help out with this, you can go to our app or our website and you can go to the Hurricane Fund and all those funds will be given direct, directly to Convoy or churches in that area in order to help um, them continue to bring uh, people through this storm with hope because that's what it's all about, right? Now, um, if you haven't been with us throughout this series that we've been, uh, we are in a series entitled Nav Plan, so you might want to grab some to take notes on, grab your Bibles. Um, but as you know, we have been giving you all kind of thoughts and giving you kind of questions to process with your family or your small group to help you uh, find a starting point for your faith or reignite a starting point or, or rebuild your faith. So if you're not in a fall small group yet, there's time for you to sign up for one. We're in the middle of signups right now. Um, I would encourage you to check out the group that are available for this fall. You can do that also on our app or our website, or you can stop by the gallery again on our campus. Our team in our gallery is so helpful. They would love to answer any questions, help you find the right group for you in this season. And so I just want to make sure that you're checking out those possibilities. All right, so let's jump into today's conversation. Um, by the way, if you're a first-time guest here with us today at any of our churches, man, thank you for being part of today's conversation because what we've been on is we have been on a journey of a greater discovery of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus Christ, and to have this growing, mature, adult faith. So whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a short period of time, or whether you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, or if you're with us today and you're just trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, and you have all these questions and all these doubts, here's why this series of conversations are so important, and that is this. Everything has a starting point. Like you had a starting point, your career had a starting point, your romantic life had a starting point, your parenting, your recovery, everything has a starting point, and faith has a starting point as well. So what we're doing in this series is we're kind of hitting the reset button and asking this question. If you didn't know anything about God and faith, where would you start? Because the truth is, many of us, we had a starting point about faith as a child. But as many of us have discovered, a childhood faith isn't enough to manage the adult pressures of life. And I just want to say, that's not a criticism of what we were taught as a child, but you explain things to children differently, don't you? You understand things as a child differently. It's limited. It's simple. It's kind of like, hey, here's what you should believe. And as a child, because that person was somebody you admired or you looked up to, you believe that. But for many of us, what happened is, as we matured, our faith didn't mature with us. So it was only a matter of time before there were like gaps between what we were taught as a child and what we begin to experience and bump into as adults. It's why some of you, because of that gap, it's why some of you, for a season of your life, you shelved your faith, or it's why some of you still have a shallow, childlike faith. And when I say childlike, I don't mean to believe in Jesus no matter what. I mean, like, it's just that shallow, immature, still hasn't grown and developed. And, and that's why some of you are like, I feel like I'm supporting my faith instead of your faith supporting you through the challenge and the adult moments of life. And I think that's true for a lot of us, especially as we talk about today's topic. 
See, at some point as a child, what happened is you were taught that, hey, you should pray and you should ask God for forgiveness for our sins. It was a prayer that you were taught, you should pray this prayer for forgiveness for your sins every night, or you should pray it at the end of each prayer, or maybe depending on your religious tradition, it was like our denomination, it was part of the Lord's Prayer that you recited every day. But you were taught that you should pray for forgiveness as a way to alleviate any of your guilt and your shame. But then you become an adult, and what happens? Your sins get bigger, don't they? Like as a child, like you felt bad because you aggravated your sister because you go in a room and you would mess up her stuff just to aggravate her and you felt bad about that at times. But then as an adult, you have entire chapters or seasons of your life that you wish you could erase or you wish you could go back and redo. You have entire relationships that you wish you could undo or redo. And it's not even a religious thing. It's more of, I am so embarrassed by that. I feel so bad about that. It's not, I don't want to be known as that, or I don't want to be known for that kind of thing. Now, while there are some seasons in your life that you can look back on and go, oh man, that was fun. And you can laugh about when you were a, a teenager or maybe a young adult. There are a lot of seasons as an adult that bring a lot of guilt and shame. It's those things that you hope nobody ever brings up. It's the, I hope nobody asks me about my first marriage and why I ended because it brings so much guilt and shame. I, in fact, some of you say, I, I, I don't hope nobody even know I had a first marriage because I just don't even want to talk about that. Or for some of you, it might be, well, I hope nobody asked me, like, how were my college years? Because all you're going to say is, I went because there's so much guilt and shame, or, or how about that weekend? You hope nobody ever brings that weekend up, or what happened with that money situation, or what happened with that old job and that old boss that you had. It's like, I'd rather not talk about that because there's so much guilt and shame. And, and when you stop and think about it, you go, it's not even just like a religious thing. It's an internal thing. It's a human thing. The guilt and shame at times, it is so powerful that we fear that we're going to be absolutely overwhelmed by it to the point that we get discouraged and often depressed by it. So here's the question we all ask in some way, some shape, some form, or some fashion, and we don't use these words specifically. But basically, all of us go through life because we have guilt and we have shame. We all go through life wondering, what can wash away my sin? Like, what can wash away my guilt? What can wash away my shame? What can wash away all those memories? What can wash away my sin? And most of us, we've tried so many things. We've tried so many different ways. We haven't found anything that seems to work. So you know what we do? We, we try to forget about our sin. We try to dismiss our sin. Like some of you, you've tried to drink it away. Some of you tried to medicate it away. Some of you have gone on more and more getaways to make it go away. Some of you have indulged yourself harder into your work to make it go away. Some of you have given money to try to make it go away. Or some of you tried to buy things to erase it and make it go away. But the struggle comes when we realize that no matter what we do, there are some things that we can just never forget or erase from our memories. So, you know what we tend to do after that struggle is there for a season? We do what all humans tend to do. 
we chalk it up to this. Well, nobody's perfect. Everybody's human. Or, well, I'm not as bad as, and then we have all these people that we compare ourselves to. Or I was young then, or I was drunk. Like, that's some kind of excuse. Or I was angry, or I was lonely, or I was broken then. Literally, we try to dumb down our sin. We, we do the things that we talked about in week two of this series. We try to hide it all under the guise of, well, it was just a mistake. You're a premeditated mistaker, as we talked about in week two. And you just, you try to make it a mistake. But as we learn, a mistake can be corrected. A mistake can be fixed. But you can't fix these things. And you can't fix the guilt and the shame that go with these things that go with sin. It's a deeper stain left from sin in our soul. And labeling it something benign does not remove the guilt and the shame from sin. Like trying to relieve the tension doesn't provide a permanent solution. It's kind of like this shadow that just kind of follows you around all the time. And all it takes is something to remind you of that incident or that situation, and suddenly all that guilt and that shame is back there. You're so embarrassed, so ashamed. So the question is, is there more than just a coping mechanism for our sin? Is there a complete solution for sin and guilt and shame? Is there a comprehensive way to wash away our sin? And Jesus taught, that there is an answer to this. And the answer that Jesus gave us was forgiveness. But most of us, we see forgiveness through the lens of a child. And, and today, I, I want to ask you to begin to see this forgiveness through the lens of a maturing adult. As a matter of fact, th this is what Jesus taught about forgiveness. He said, experiencing personal forgiveness for personal sin is a starting point for personal faith. That was basically what Jesus taught. So the question is, what, what does this mean for you? Experiencing personal forgiveness for personal sin is a starting point for personal faith. Like, what does that mean for you? Like, whether you're religious or not, I really want you to consider something. Every religious system out there, they have a solution to this whole sin or forgiveness dilemma because it's a common human problem. So you pick any faith system, any religious system you want, and it's gonna to try to give you something to do to try to make up for guilt and shame. But Jesus is different, because here's the reality. Jesus didn't offer something to do as a solution for your sin. Jesus offered himself as the solution. Now you say, where do you get this from? Well, the apostle John, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, who wrote an account of Jesus' life. We call it the Gospel of John. In fact, if you want to go there, John chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. John tells us at the beginning of his Gospel account that there was another John. Not the, just the Apostle John, but there was another John. Now, this John in history is known as John the Baptist because he did something for the very first time in recorded history. See, up to that point, if a non-Jewish per person wanted to worship the Jewish God, they had to convert to Judaism. Basically, there were about five steps they had to take, and one of those was ceremonial washing. They called it baptism. A person would dip themselves or immerse themselves into water. 
Well, John the Baptist comes along and he's preaching at the, along the Jordan River and he's saying, hey, every one of you, you should confess your sin because the Messiah is almost here. But he's not telling the people, now you need to go baptize yourself. No, he's inviting the people to come to him and he's baptizing them. And nobody had ever done that before. Like people are flocking to hear him. Thousands of people are showing up and letting John baptize them. So much so, and this is so different than anything anybody experienced. The religious leaders in Jerusalem, they hear all about this and they're concerned and they want to check out what's going on. Like, is he another one of these guys come along saying, hey, I'm, one of the, I'm the Messiah? Is he pretending to be that? So they send some people to ask John the baptizer, hey, what is this all about? And John the baptizer says, no, I am not the Messiah. So they say to him in John chapter one, they ask this question. Finally, they say, who are you? This is in verse 22. Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Notice verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, the Messiah is on the way, and I'm just clearing the path for him. I'm just getting everyone ready to see him. I'm about to point him out. And when he shows up, it's going to change everything. You see, and here's why we say it's going to change everything. Because for 1,500 years, the Jewish people had handled their guilt and shame this way. They would take a lamb, and they would take that lamb, the best lamb they had in their flock, they would take it to the temple. They would kill it, they would drain the blood, and then they would offer the lamb on the altar as a sacrifice to God. And it was symbolic that their sins were atoned for or covered. Now, here's the thing. These Jewish people, they were smart people. They knew that there was no way that a dead animal could provide forgiveness for a living person. But it was their way of showing they owned their sins and then expressing to God their need for forgiveness. It was part of their culture. When someone sins, something had to die. When someone sins, somebody had to pay. Well, for 1,500 years, they did this, but it was not a permanent solution. New sin required a new death. New sin required new payment. It compensated for their sin, but it didn't cancel their sin, and they knew that. So they waited for the Messiah, believing that when the Messiah come, it was going to change all of this. And little did they know that change was just around the corner. In fact, notice verse 29 of John chapter 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he says to the crowd, look, like, hey, everybody been warning you about this? Pay attention to this. Don't miss this. Here's why I've been getting you ready for. And John the baptizer points to Jesus. Everybody looks in the crowd as he says, look, the Lamb of God. And I'm sure some people in that crowd, they started looking for an animal because that's all they knew. Like, it's like, Okay, we understand what a lamb is used for, but I'm sure John's like, no, 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 no. I'm not pointing an animal. I'm pointing to that man right over there. He is the lamb that God has sent. Because in their culture, they would have immediately thought about the sacrificial lambs used to cover their sin. When he used this idea of lamb of God, they would have thought about this as a solution to their sin. They knew exactly what John was saying when he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Now, don't miss this. John the Baptist made the claim that Jesus, who was the Lamb of God, was going to take away, lift up, or carry off the sin of the world. He's saying, that man right there, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's come to lift up, take away Jewish sin, Roman sin, American sin, your sin, my sin. No more lambs are going to need to be slaughtered. No more trips to the temple to atone for your sin. No more penalties to be paid or blood to be shed. Jesus has come to offer an answer to what can wash away your sin. He's come to be the answer. He's come to be the solution. And for three years, Jesus would hint in his teachings and his stories. He'd talk about it with his disciples. He had predicted to those who were following him, the crowds that he would preach to. And then on the night of his arrest, sitting in the upper room with his disciples, celebrating Passover. Now, if you don't know what Passover is, Passover was a Jewish holiday to celebrate the act of mercy that God has showed on the nation or the Jewish people when he redeemed them or delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. And part of that celebration of that meal was a meal. And they would share in that meal some bread and they would drink some wine. But this Passover, what we know as the Last Supper, it would be different. This Passover, it would introduce something brand new that would change the world. At this Passover, Jesus said something that I want you to put yourselves in the disciples' seat. And I want you to feel the emotion and the reaction that they probably felt when Jesus said that. Because too many times we read the Bible without getting into the emotion of the people that are there. But Jesus says something at this meal that is so offensive and outlandish. It should have made all the disciples abandon him. If not, say he needs to be killed because he's a heretic. Here's what Jesus said. This is found in Luke 22, verse 19. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. And I'm sure they're going, what? This bread's your body? He says, this do in remembrance of me. And they're like, no, no, no. We ate this bread in remembrance of what happened the night that the Lord passed over and delivered us from Egypt. And he says, no, no, no. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I'm like, this is so offensive to them. I mean, this tradition that the Jews have celebrated for hundreds and hundreds of years, Jesus is saying, oh, oh no, we're going to redefine it tonight. No longer is it about the mercy that Jesus showed them when they were, ex or when they were redeemed out of Egypt. Now this is about Jesus. I mean, saying that to his disciples would kind of like, don't miss what I say here because this, this would be real offensive if you misunderstand this. It'd be kind of like me looking at you as a church and saying, hey, you know how at Christmas has always been about Jesus' birth? Well, we're going to do a new thing this year starting at Christmas. From now on, you're going to celebrate my birth at Christmas, Okay. So like everybody, you need to read the story of my birth before you open the presents. Like none of you would ever come back to this church. You would think I was absolutely nuts. The disciples hearing this is going, no, 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 no. This is about the celebration of the Passover and the exodus from Egypt. And Jesus, what you're saying, like, no, this is not in remembrance of you. And Jesus goes, oh, yeah. 
From now on, it is. Because he's letting them know, I'm about to do something new. No more animal sacrifices. I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. And he said, this bread from now on, it's going to be symbolic of my body that was broken for you. And the wine will remind you of my spilled blood that I shed for you. And that night, Jesus was arrested. And all these men that were sitting around this table and heard this, they ran away and they lost their faith in him. And he was beaten and he was crucified on a Roman cross where God poured out the penalty for sin of every person who ever lived or ever will live on Jesus. And then he bled to death. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And how do we know that's true? Because he rose again and his disciples saw him with their own eyes. In fact, 20 years later, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, the Apostle Paul, he writes about this. Now, you got to understand, the Apostle Paul, he had a lot of reasons to carry guilt and shame in his, because of his past. Remember, the Apostle Paul, he was the one who persecuted Christians. He imprisoned Christians. He even had Christians killed. But in a letter after his transformation with the gospel of Jesus, but in a letter that he wrote to the church at Colossae, he explained to them what can wash away their sin their shame, and their guilt that comes from that sin. In Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, here's what he said. And he, referring to Jesus, forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has, here's that phrase again, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Apostle Paul is saying, listen, your sin, it created a debt. What you did means you owe them something, means you owe yourself something. It means you owe God something. It wasn't just a mistake. It was far worse than that. So you stand condemned, guilty because of what you did. It was a sin. It's why you carry guilt. It's why you carry shame. It's why you can't escape this cloud or this shadow that follows you called guilt and shame. But on the cross, Jesus, he took it away. He forgave it. He made it possible for all your sins to be forgiven. So the question is, what what can wash away my sin? What, What can wash away my guilt and shame, that's the big question, isn't it? Like, here's what most of you know by now. You can't. You've tried, haven't you? I mean, alcohol won't do it. Medication won't do it. They'll distract you, but they'll not deliver you from your guilt and your shame. Another spouse, another date, another night, another affair, another adventure won't do it. Another getaway won't do it. Another promotion won't do it. Another award won't do it. Another dean's list listing won't do it for you. I mean, shopping won't wash away your sin. A gift for your kids or more gifts for your kids won't wash away your sins. More trips for your spouse or for you, they won't wash away your sin. More success won't wash away your sin, not even more going to church or reading your Bible or serving more or giving more can wash away your sin. In fact, your past goodness, your present goodness, and your future goodness cannot cancel the debt that was created by your sin. So the question again is, what can wash away your sin? 
Well, the Apostle Paul says there is only one thing, and that one thing is nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. He canceled the debt to you and to God, and he forgives you, or he offers, I should say, forgiveness to you. Now, do you know why that's good news? Here's why. Because you don't have to forgive yourself because yourself has already been forgiven. God has offered that. Jesus has taken care of that. So you can spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to wash away your sin, how to escape or how to avoid or how to get past all that guilt and all of that shame that goes along with sin. You can do that. And and you can look to religious systems to try to tell you, hey, here's a solution. Here's how you can deal with that. And there are plenty of those religious systems out there. You can even try to handle sin on your own if you want to, but you don't need to. And you know it doesn't work because you've tried. So Jesus says, I'm not offering a solution. I am your solution. I am the one who can pick up and carry off your sin forever. I died to cancel your sin debt so that forgiveness is possible and forgiveness is free to you. And some of you go, well, that's good news. But what I do with all these memories? Well, that's easier than most of us think. Like every time those memories come, once you receive that gift of forgiveness and you choose to follow Jesus, you use those memories as a reminder, not of guilt, not of condemnation, but reminder that you are forgiven. They become a reminder, not of your failure, but a reminder of God's forgiveness and his goodness and his mercy and his grace in your life. So here's the big question I have for all of you, all of our churches this morning. And that is this. And again, I want you to look at this question through the eyes of a maturing adult, not as a child. Here's the question. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you told God you wanted to receive his forgiveness. Because see, this is the starting point of faith. Not, not a moment in your life where you were in a bind and said, God, please forgive me all my sin because I think I'm going to die. And then you went off and did your own thing. Not a moment when you're in a crisis and said, God, I please, if y'all, you know, forgive me all my sin because you know, I'll get the thing right with you. I, and then you went off and did your own thing. But has there ever been that moment in your life where not only you trusted, that God's atoning work on the cross was for your sin. But when you said to God, God, forgive me of all my sin. I repent of my sinful ways and I'm choosing to follow you. God knew you were saying that with integrity and he could trust what you were saying. Has there ever been that moment when you made this statement, God, I am a sinner in need of a savior I repent and ask for your forgiveness that God could trust the integrity of that statement from you. Because this is not just about you trusting God, but it's about God trusting what you're saying is a statement of integrity. And that is a starting point for faith. Have you ever told God, I'm going to stop doing what I have been doing and I'm going to follow you and go your way. I'm going to stop trying to work this out on my own. Because see, see, God doesn't ask you to do something to atone for your sin. He's already done that. He just asks that you trust and believe in his atoning work on the cross. 
that forgiveness is offered through Jesus. And that single act of trust makes forgiveness a reality for you. So here's the thing. Experiencing, don't miss this, experiencing personal forgiveness for personal sin. Not mistakes, not minimizing, but saying, God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent, and I ask for your forgiveness. It is a starting point for personal faith. Listen, in a moment, um, we're going to end our service with the bands coming out of all of our campus and singing a song that just reminds us of this. In fact, here's how the song goes. It says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then there's this chorus that just is so incredible. It says, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. That makes all that guilt, all that shame, all that stain go away. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen, that can be true for all of you today if you're willing to accept what Jesus offers. So again, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So as we close today, I I, want to lead you in a prayer if you're ready to be forgiven. Like if you're tired of trying to earn your way out of your debt and what you messed up in your life to God, and you believe that Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world, but he died for your personal sin, and you're ready to embrace that and come before Jesus with integrity when you say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I repent of my sins. And your blood that was shed, the gift that was for me on the cross, it was too precious for me to take it lightly. So I'm going to follow you for the rest of my days. If you're ready for forgiveness to be written on your heart, then I want you just to pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud. And then as the band comes out after this prayer, I just want you to lean in. and Just let this moment settle. To go, God, thank you for this amazing amazing gift. All of you at all of our camps, if you will, bow your heads. Open your hearts to Jesus. God, I thank you so much for this incredible opportunity that we have right now. God, for many students and adults, this is their moment to say, God, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I'm saying it with integrity. And if, you, if you've never come before God and just say, God, here's my moment. Where you knew that's what you meant. You're repenting of your way. Will you just in your heart pray this? As I say it out loud, say, Jesus, today, I admit I'm not a mistaker. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. I've even sinned against myself. And today, I repent of that, meaning I'm I'm changing my way 
from trying to do things my way to do things your way. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm just going to move forward in this relationship with you and learn what it means to walk and follow you. Thank you for this incredible gift of forgiveness. Thank you for canceling my debt that I could never pay. Thank you for dying in my place on the cross, for your body being broken, for your blood being shed. Thank you for this amazing good news. What can wash away my sin? It's nothing but your blood. And today I receive that gift. And from this day forward, I'm going to live my life to honor the preciousness of that gift. Out of gratitude, live my life for you in that saving flow of your blood. God, I thank you so much for the fruit that happens as you renew our minds and our hearts. God, that your fruit then becomes the evidence of our relationship with you, a life of love and joy, peace and patience and gentleness, meekness and self-control. So God, in this moment, as we reflect on what you did for us and what's available to us, may it be a solemn celebration of the incredible debt that we owed, but the incredible gift that we have been given through your love, through your death, and your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.